0: Good morning, everybody. It's a good question to ask. How long is your shadow? What is your influence? What is the the legacy that you're leaving uh, on this earth? I want to say a special welcome again to to all the dads that are here today and uh, to grandpas, to uncles, uh, whatever... Whatever has brought you here today, God has you here for a very specific reason. And let me just say again that we love it that you're here, and it's no accident that you're here. Isn't it interesting uh, how much we learn from our fathers, whether we were planning on learning it or not? You know what I'm saying? It's it's so interesting. Regardless of what Father's Day means to you, what I love about that video is it points out this this truth that's hard to argue with, and that's that our dads, whether they're still with us or not, our fathers have a profound influence on our lives, whether that be positive or negative. You can't deny the impact that your dad has made on you, whether you agree with that or not. That's what I love about that short clip. And and what I want to encourage you with today is that whether you are a father or not, uh, do not check out. Uh, Today is for you. Don't assume it's not. Because Father's Day really affects all of us. Whether you're a dad or not, we all have dads. We're all just Kids, really. The the small ones just went to KQ and we get to stay here. Uh, But we're all kids. We all have fathers. But the reality is, and I know for a lot of you, and I just want to acknowledge that right up front, days like Mother's Day, days like today, Father's Day, are not happy days. They're not days where we want to celebrate. And as we sung earlier, you know, today is the day that you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And some of you are saying, I don't feel like rejoicing. And let me just say, that's okay. He's still worthy of your worship. It doesn't diminish who God is. And he's still your father. He's still my father. He's still our heavenly father. And for some of you, your dad is here with you today, and that's awesome. If you're, if you're with your dad today, or if you are uh, the wife of, of a man that is a father, just look at him right now and say, I love you. Just tell him that right now. Or find somebody around you and, uh, and do that. It, it's so important that we cherish those times together where it's goofing around or wrestling on the couch or whatever, whatever that is. But the reality is, is that you and I live in a broken world where unfortunately the idea of father, that word, that image of father has been broken or it has been tainted by fathers that were absent or maybe hurtful. We live in a broken world where even the best dads, and I'm realizing this about myself too, even the best dads make mistakes. I get once, I, get, I usually make about one mistake a month, that's what I'm given, but um, no matter how hard we try, we're going to hurt our kids sometimes. It's a hard pill to swallow, but that's just the reality. I was driving down Ingersoll the other day to work, uh, as I often do, uh, going the speed limit the whole time. Um, Ingersoll is like the Indianapolis 500, depending on the the time of day you go down, but I was late for a meeting, and so I was going along, and there was this car that was going like five miles an hour, just driving me crazy, and I'm just like, oh man, this is so frustrating, and I think at a a stoplight, it turned green, you know, and then sometimes the car doesn't go. Of course, I never do that, Uh, and so I'm sitting there, and this car is not going. I'm already like 10 minutes late for the meeting, and I, I just scream, I go... Actually, you know what? I stopped because I'm a pastor and I prayed a blessing over them. And thank- <laughs> No, I didn't. Like my initial reaction, I just, I just said right there at the stoplight, I said, you have got to be kidding me. And from the back seat comes the squeaky little voice of a two-year-old. You got to be kidding me. <laughs> that was my son. They pick up on things at a very early age. Today is a great day for a lot of you. Today is a tough day for a lot of you, and I don't know exactly where you're at. I don't know what you bring in with you this morning, what's on your heart and mind, but the important thing is that God does, and he knows exactly where you're at, and I cannot think of a better place to be on Father's Day than in our Father's house. Amen? You're in the right place. Turn to your neighbor right now, look at him, and say, hey neighbor, you're in the right place. Tell him that right now. You're in the right place. Each of us has a unique Father story that brought us here today that has made us who we are. We can't deny that, but all of us actually share the same Heavenly Father story. We all have the same story when it comes to our Heavenly Father, and it starts in the beginning. So before we get to our text for today, I want to go all the way back to Genesis, which is conveniently located for you in the beginning of your Bible. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at a familiar passage, but in a different way. Today, Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to take a look at a passage that's going to be very familiar to a lot of you, but in, in kind of a roundabout way. So Genesis chapter 1, God creates human beings. We read Genesis 127, God created human beings in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Father's Day starts with this idea that every single one of us has a father. So regardless of what your father situation is, when you know Jesus Christ, you are connected to God the Father. And let me just say this, Father's Day never has to be fatherless again. It never has to be fatherless when you are connected to Jesus Christ because it means that you have a kind and loving and compassionate and strong and powerful father that loves you unconditionally. And if you hear nothing else today, hear that. So our story starts here in Genesis, and we are made in the image of God. We are the spitting image of our Father. In his image, men and women, right? The branch doesn't fall far from the tree. We were, we were made in his image, and we were also created for intimacy. A lot of times we see couples, you know, holding hands like this or something, walking around, and you're like, oh, gross, Right? whatever it is. I want you to look at this today not so much as just the intimacy that like, a man and a woman have together, but as this, this picture that God paints in the book of Genesis of our union with him. We are intimate allies with God and, as we find out, with each other. We were created for intimacy with God, to be linked up and connected with him. That's what it means to be in Christ, connected with God. But look again at verse uh, look again at verse 23. It says, after Adam and Eve were created, then we skip ahead, actually go to Genesis chapter 2, to the second part of the story. Genesis chapter 2, Adam says this in verse 23. This one, speaking of the woman, is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. One. Now get this, now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. This is always one of those Bible stories where when you were a Sunday school teacher and you were in charge of like the skit day and acting out that they were both naked and felt, you're like, why did I get that one? Um, It couldn't be more clear. We were created for intimacy with God and we were created for intimacy with each other. So I don't want you to look at this so much as just a, Man and a woman, or a husband and wife. Yes, absolutely, but in all of our relationships. But look again at verse 25. It says, They felt no shame. I want you to think about the relationships that are most important to you your parents, your siblings, your spouse, your best friends, people maybe here from church. I want you to think about a relationship with no tension, no bitterness. No arguments, no striving, no no need to try to prove yourself, no desperately trying to be seen and loved and noticed. You just know it in the deepest part of who you are. Wouldn't that be awesome? And wouldn't that be great if that described all of our relationships, (laughs) that there was never any tension, that there was never any conflict, that that's just the way it was? It was a perfect picture Of God's design. Well, you and I know the story all too well. You skip ahead to Genesis 3, and our story takes a tragic turn. We know that the enemy comes in and he seeds, uh, sows seeds of doubt right in the, the depths of our heart that we can't trust God, and the apple is bitten. And in verse 7 of chapter 3, we read this one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture and telling for us in our relationships. It says, At that moment, their eyes were opened and suddenly, when they stepped out of God's boundaries for relationships, says suddenly their eyes were opened and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. Like, get over the nakedness part. Like, shame. And God comes to him later and says, I didn't tell you you were naked. Meaning, why are you feeling ashamed? Just a second ago you had nothing to hide and now all of a sudden there's all this Brokenness, and it's almost like that perfect image that we had is now shattered, and there's pieces and just shambles of what once was. I want you to see the picture is still there, but it's broken. That image of a perfect relationship is. Shattered, and there's no human tips or techniques or advice or TV shows or advice columns that we can read that are gonna help us get to the root of the problem. Everything that's out there in our world today is a band-aid on a gaping wound that will not heal unless we get to the source of it. And when we step outside of God's boundaries, that image is shattered. And then comes shame and blame and guilt and pain, and the divorce that Jesus talks about in our scripture today, and we felt the effects of that ever since. And just a word about this as well. Some of the times we read passages like that, and, and we lose track of the heart of God, and we think that, man, when, Je- when Jesus gives us a law, that means that somehow he's not loving. Parents, you know this. Giving boundaries is loving. And what Jesus is saying when it comes to divorce is there was men in Jesus' day and in the Old Testament that would simply hand, like when they got tired of their wife, they would just write up a little paper and say, here, I'm kind of done with you. I'm on to the next woman now. God's heart just breaks for that. So I want you to hear today, God is not here to condemn Divorce. Does he hate divorce? Absolutely. Is it outside of his boundaries? Absolutely. But Jesus later says, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. I want you to hear that this morning. That if that's a part of your brokenness, if that's a part of your story, Jesus says, I'm here to heal. I'm here to rescue. And I'm here to set up some boundaries because I want what's best for you. But you tie the two together in Genesis God says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. I say that at every wedding that I officiate. And then we hear over here this scripture that God God doesn't like divorce, and here's why. When flesh is torn, it hurts. It's really painful, almost like it wasn't designed to be that way. But at the same time, God is not a prude, God is not ignorant of the brokenness that exists in our world today, and so he provides his son, Jesus, to enter into our brokenness and say, divorce is a part of your story, abuse is a part of your story, pain, abandonment, isolation, loneliness is a part of your story today. Jesus says, I'm right there, and I'm not here to condemn you, I'm here to rescue you, I'm here to heal you, I'm here to bring reconciliation to those relationships, Some of you are saying, wow, Pastor John, you really know how to just top off this Father's Day with an encouraging, uplifting message. We're all broken. We're all messed up. We are, absolutely. Every single one of us has issues. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, you got issues. Just, you got issues. Some of you are like, why did I sit by that person today? I have to talk to him all day. And some of you that are married have been wanting to say that for a long time. And I just gave you the opportunity to do it. There you go. And when I say issues, what I mean is that we, every single one of us, not just those who have had a certain life circumstance or something happen with a relationship, every single one of us, including myself, is a deeply flawed and broken person when it comes to our relationships. Amen? We're all in the same boat. So there's no condemnation or judgment today. But here's the deal we got to know the bad news before we can go know the good news. The reality is that every single one of us feels the effects of Eden. There's this earthquake that happened and it shattered this image. Every single one of us has fallen short. But here's what I want you to know. That just because it's broken and shattered doesn't mean there's not still a picture of love there. That still exists. And maybe for some of you, this shattered picture represents certain expectations that you had for your marriage that are just not there, that you hope one day we can get that back. For some of you, it's still longing for that relationship, and so it is shattered because it doesn't exist, and you long for that. For some of you, maybe this is uh, being wounded in a certain friendship, or maybe uh, you've been wounded in the church. Or maybe in your small group, somebody offended you or something, and that relationship is broken and needs to be mended. What, whatever that is, the good news is that God didn't leave us alone. It says, while Adam and Eve were hiding in their shame and their broken relationship, it say God came walking in the cool of the day in the garden, and he said, where are you? And that's the question he's asking you this morning as well. On this Father's Day, where are you when it comes to the relationships in your life? Are you hiding? And if so, there's really good news. Because one of the first things that Jesus says when he starts his ministry, basically lays out his mission statement, and he says this. Let's read it together up on the screen. This is from Luke 19. Let's read this together. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, not to condemn you today, but to heal, to save. And that includes anything that might need healing or that's broken. And hear me say this today. Just because the frame is broken doesn't mean the picture doesn't still exist of love. Every single one of us was created for relationship. Every single one of us was created for community. Go back to Genesis 1. Go back to Genesis 1 to where God creates humans for the very first time. Look back at that. Flip back a couple couple pages. A lot of times we just read right over this and we miss it, but this is foundational for who we are in our DNA. Watch what God said. He said, Let us make humans in my image? No, in our image, meaning the Trinity was present at creation, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, meaning that we were created in the image of a communal God, a God that is in relationship with himself. Our foundational DNA as human beings is to be in community. It's not a preference thing like, oh, I'm an introvert and I'm an extrovert, so I'm just going to kind of be over here and do my thing and never be in relationship with him. I am a raging introvert. But I know that God has created me for relationships and for community, and so I have to work at that because when I go against that, I'm, I'm pushing against my very design. It's not a preference thing. It's not a personality thing. It's a human thing, and to, to come against that, it's like rubbing against sandpaper the wrong way. It's like that's not how we were against the grain of wood the wrong way. It's going against the grain, against the way that you and I were created. Life is not a solo sport. Kind of like golf. So the U.S. Open is this week. First of all, any golf fans out there? Seven of you, great, awesome. So there's this game called golf, and what we do is people spend millions of dollars uh, to watch uh, a few guys go out into a field with green grass and use a stick to knock a white ball in a hole. Okay? That's golf. So uh, it's awesome, and I love it. So the U.S. Open uh, is this weekend. There's four big tournaments a year that are the majors. You're just going to get a little schooling on uh, the world of golf here this morning. So I've been watching almost every minute of it that I can. Here's some of the major players uh, in golf. The guy on the right here is Bubba Watson, just on fire for Jesus. Uh, Awesome guy. He's a Baptist, but I won't hold that against him. Uh, You've got Tiger there over on the left. He's just falling apart, but here's the exciting thing about the game of golf. He is. It's terrible. I love him, but he's not playing very well right now. So these three guys in the middle. So there's younger guys that are up and coming, and so the game of golf is really exciting. And so the the guy here, the second second from my right uh, in the Under Armour gear, that's Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth uh, is 21 years old, and he just won the Masters, the last big golf tournament in April. And he loves Jesus. And what I love about Jordan Spieth is not only is he an amazing golfer, but he's composed. He's respectable. Uh, and the, uh, the chaplains on the PGA Tour, they lead Bible studies for all the golfers, and he, wherever he is in the world, especially on Sundays before he tees off in these things where there's millions of dollars at stake, and I'm sure he's got all sorts of meetings and meeting with his agent and all these things. He's super busy, and yet he makes worship a priority. He makes Bible study a priority, even when he's in the middle of nowhere on the road, traveling all over the world which makes up for the fact that he's Catholic, and I won't hold that against him, but um, I'm just kidding. I love love Jordan Spieth, and I love the game of golf, and I I know that for some of you, you just have a hard time imagining this, so just think about the thing that you are most passionate about in life, and think about getting up and being able to share about that. That's what I'm doing right now. I just might start to cry. I'm going to attempt something right now that has never been done, probably by a pastor ever, or in the history of Lutheran Church of Hope, This may get me fired. Um, Somebody might get injured, but I'm going to do it anyway. All right? So um, can I just, like, get a little, like, enthusiasm here? Okay. Okay. I got you. Okay. I'm going to do this from right here. Okay? So golf is an individual sport, unfortunately. So that means I'm the only one that gets to do this. Um, So I've got some golf balls here. And those of you that sat in front, I'm sorry today. You did bring your mask to church. Okay, gotcha. So I got three chances. If I get this right on the first one, then I won't have to do it again. But I just couldn't wait till I got home later today to get, to get fired up. I just, I gotta do this right now. I'm sorry. i just just thinking about the US Open and everything like that. So I gotta move this. Hopefully I don't break anything. Jed, I'm sorry if I break your guitar. All right. <laughs> cool. All right, since our drummer's not up here, everybody just wanna give me a little drum roll here? Okay. That was a pathetic drum roll. Give me, a, give me a drum roll, people, okay? Here we go, okay. It's a sand wedge from about 116. Okay, ready? I'm serious, are you ready? Watch your, watch your face, you ready for this? It's teed up, okay, here we go. Oh, wow, good catch, here we go. That was so much fun, I'm going to do it again. All right, here we go. All right, some love for this side of the room. Here we go. Ready? This is my doormat at home, all right? You will never look at church the same after today, all right? I'm going to go for the tech booth back there. Yes, awesome, nice job. Here you go, toss it back up here. Thank you. No souvenirs for you today. All right. <laughs> here's, here's the thing. I love a lot of things about golf, and here's the worst thing. There's the one thing that I don't like about golf. I'm the only one up here right now. Golf is, a, is an individual sport. Even for guys like Jordan Spieth, they're, they're out there all alone, and kind of the, the mantra, if there was a mantra for golf, would be everyone for themselves. I'm the only one up here. We don't get to do this together. If we were playing football or basketball, we would need to have a team. Golf is an individual sport. Every person for themselves, which is a great idea for the game of golf and a terrible idea for the Christian life. And yet this is how a lot of you are playing the game. You're having a lot of fun doing life on your own, but you're missing out on a large part of how God has created you. And we have bought into this lie in our culture that somehow deep relationships can be found at the other end of a click of your computer rather than forged in the day-to-day ups and downs of real life. And somehow, especially for guys, because it's Father's Day today, especially for guys, we've believed this lie. And we think that real men don't really need friends. Comes a little bit easier for women, but you're not off the hook, just hang on. One of the most manly men to ever live was King Solomon. Not only was he one of the manliest men, one of the wisest men. And he says this in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter four, verse nine. He says, two are better than one. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Some of you are living life, guys especially. Let me just speak to you for a second. Some of you are living life like some of these golfers, they're going to be out on the course later today, all alone, looking really important. Great job, great house, great family. Maybe lots of money in the bank account, certainly for these guys. And yet you're all alone. Guys, do you have any friends? I'm not talking about church buddies that you kind of go like that to over coffee on Sunday morning. I'm not talking about golfing buddies. I'm not talking about guys you meet at the bar. I'm not talking about guys at work. I'm talking about guys that you could call any time and say, I am really struggling in my marriage right now. Guys that you could call and say, I am wrestling with this temptation, and I, could you pray for me right now? Boy, that gets tough with the golfing buddies, doesn't it? Like, do your relationships go deeper, or are we just kind of settled? Like, ah, it's okay, but we all really know that's not... Possible, women, you're not off the hook either. The temptations are just the same to stay superficial. A lot of times, ladies, it comes in the form of comparison. Well, I don't have what they have, or we can't really be in relationship with each other because I'm actually envious of the life that you have or the season of life that you're in. Or it's judgment, or it's gossip. And all those things get in the way of the depth of our relationship. So we're all not off the hook here, All of us suffer from the golf syndrome of doing life alone. And I think we do one of two things to kind of cope for this. We do one of two things. There's one of two responses that we have. And the first one is to simply avoid. Everybody say avoid. Avoid. We avoid. We don't really let anyone too close, not just people of the opposite gender in relationships, but maybe you get in a small group or you're in a friendship. And and the second things start to get deep, some of you, you don't know why, but you always just pull back. Because if I get too close, that means I'm going to get hurt. Hurt. And that's the agreement that we've made, whether it's in a romantic relationship or in your small group or in a friendship or with a a parent or a sibling. Some of you, you're saying, I have been hurt in the past and therefore I am not going to take the risk to love again. Love is a risk. We all know that. And sometimes we're going to get hurt. And so it's easier to just avoid. Sometimes we avoid. Everybody say avoid. Avoid. The second mindset is just to concede. Everybody say concede. concede. To concede, to just give up. Because we say, oh, we all know, John, it's 2015. Life is way too busy to have that real and authentic of friendships and, and relationships. So we're really busy. i got to shuttle the kids around this summer. There's a lot going on. Things are really busy at work. And you can't really have those kind of relationships, especially in the church. I mean, come on. And God says, oh, yes, you can. You can actually have deeper, more real, authentic, vulnerable relationships here than anywhere else in your life. Because here, the masks come down. We've already established that every single one of us is in the same boat. And if we can start from that playing field, that every single one of us is desperately in need of the cross, now we can start going deep. Now we can start living into who God designed us. Check out how, what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. He says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now, if God is our Father, speaking of Father's Day, if God is our Father and we are his kids, that makes us what? If you are brothers and sisters and you're related to each other and God's our Father, that makes all of us what? Family. Family! Thank you. Just wanted to make sure you're with me, right? Family! We are family. That person sitting next to you is your brother and sister. And depending on what kind of family situation you came from, some of you are like saying, yes, I love family, more awesome people. And some of you are saying, no, my family is crazy enough. I don't want to be family with you people. (laughs) And what I would say is, you look around the church and you see a bunch of weird, crazy people, I would say, welcome to Hope. We're glad you're here. (laughs) We are family. That's how God has designed us. But here's the thing. The reality is I could stand up here all day and preach to you and tell you how important it is to be in a small group, how important it is to be in community, to be in relationship, not just for guys, but for all of us. And a lot of you have. In fact, tons of you have. A lot of you are in small groups. A lot of you have taken Alpha. A lot of you have taken Core. A lot of you have started serving together on different teams. And as you do that, you've started to kind of rub up against people and you've come to this startling conclusion. Church people are weird. <laughs> church people can get on my nerves and can be annoying sometimes. I'm not talking about any of you or me, of course, other church people. Church people can be a little crazy sometimes, and a lot of you have realized, like, man, I found this great church called Hope Des Moines, and church is great. It's just the people get in the way sometimes. The people that frustrate you. There's people that have different views on Scripture. There's people here that have different views on what style of music we should do or, or how loud or soft the music should be. We have leaders and staff, including myself, that will let you down. I kind of joke that I make one mistake a month, like triple that again and again and again. We're going we're to fail you sometimes. I know that I've offended some of you. Not on purpose. We don't sit around trying to, how can we offend the church? We're going to let you down because we're imperfect. For some of you, you've discovered that Christian community can be a lot like fire and that the closer you get, the easier it is to get burned. And whether that was a previous church experience that you had of feeling judged or there was gossip going on, or somebody betrayed your confidence in a small group, or you just got tired of church arguments, like you can only argue for so long about what color the carpet's going to be. So we just don't have any, to just avoid that. (laughs) You know, whatever those things are that created that broken picture for you. But here's the thing, a lot of you want to go deeper in your faith and you want to grow, and yet the biggest obstacle to you is how you handle conflict here. How we handle the brokenness in both of our relationships in the church. And I, I want you to know I'm not singling anybody out here. I'm not like, well, this is really for, you know, Dave, because we're at odd. You know, well, actually, you know what? Jed and I are in constant argument about the Bears and Packers. So this is really for you, Jed. I'm just kidding. This is preventative maintenance to be a healthy church. Because the thing is that chances are the family system that you grew up in and the way that you handled conflict growing up is how unintentionally you will bring that process right into the church. And that determines the health or the unhealth and the safety and the unsafety of our community. And it's usually one of those two responses. Usually the way that we handle conflict is either we avoid and we hide like Adam and Eve or we concede and we just give up, and both of those lead to superficial relationships. And what we do is that because we never really address conflict biblically and we don't address our brokenness that both of us have, it takes two to tango, takes two to argue. Marriage is two broken people put under the same roof, and God says, now get along. We're broken people. We're broken people. And we bring that into the church. But what happens is, if we never address it head on, we'll just bounce from small group to small group or church to church. And we'll never address the root of the issue. Have you ever heard the phrase, wherever you are, there you are? Or wherever you are, there you'll be? That's the reality. And yet here's the thing. This is the good news. Throughout the early church, we see conflict not as something to be avoided, but actually as an opportunity to learn to love. So I'm speaking to you whether this is a relation, a broken relationship with your dad or with your spouse or with your kids or here in the church, whatever it is, we learn to love because you know what else fire does? It refines. It refines us. I love how Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 3 Verse 12, he says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. I'm sure every single one of you just has an awesome relationship with your dad. Or not. So what does that verse tell you about what Father's Day should be today? Whether they're around or not, the most important thing that you need to know today is that Jesus Christ has forgiven you. And he's extending his love to you. And for us to withhold that from somebody else, no matter what has been done is to deny the power of the cross. That's where the gospel comes in. Forgive one another. Because here's why it's so important to understand our relationships together as family. There's only two guarantees I know. Every single one of you comes from a different family. Some a positive experience, some a negative experience. There's only two things we know for sure about family. Number one, everybody isn't perfect. There's no perfect people in families. And number two, nobody's going anywhere. Nobody's quitting. Because in a healthy family system, the way that God designed families to be, no matter what you're going through, the safety net of being family with other people is that I know no matter what happens, they're never going to leave me. No matter how many disagreements that we have, you don't quit your family just when it gets hard or when somebody offends you. Paul is saying, when we're in the church, we're family, so we don't run from conflict, we learn to love. I want you to think about some of the closest relationships that you have in your life, the best relationships, the healthiest. You ever in an argument with that person? Spouses in particular? I was telling somebody this the other day, you know, with, with Tiffany and I. I get more upset with her than anybody else in the entire world, and yet... 10 minutes or an hour later, there's nobody that I love more. In, in those relationships, think about those as well. You've discovered this the amount of conflict that you are willing to work through will always determine the depth of that relationship. When I have couples come to me for pre marriage counseling and they say we've never fought about anything, I go, oh no. When couples say, we're really struggling, I'm like, good, now we can get to work. Now we can invite Jesus' healing into this. This isn't about different personalities or us just saying, well, it's not really the way I am, and, you know, I'm more of a private person, and, John, we don't really handle conflict in that way. This is a difference between spiritual immaturity and maturity. This is a difference between a healthy church and an unhealthy church. This is a difference between a safe church and an unsafe church, spiritually, emotionally, physically. That's why Jesus is so passionate about it. That's why Jesus lays out this very clear process in Matthew chapter 18. Some of you have heard this referred to like, I need to have a Matthew 18 conversation with you, or like a come to Jesus conversation, right? What Jesus is saying in Matthew 18 is if somebody offends you, if you hear something about somebody, what do you do? You go tell three friends that are not that person, right? (laughs) Man, you want to talk about shattered pieces. That's gossip. And it's worse in the church because what happens is we think that it's friendly chatter. There's a thing called prayer gossip where we make our prayers or our prayer requests just gossiping about other people. Why don't you just pray for them instead of talking about them? What'd your grandma say? If you can't say nothing nice, don't say it at all. Better yet, go to that person directly, Jesus says. If somebody has offended you, go directly to that person, and if they don't hear you and it doesn't go well, then bring somebody else the next time. You don't go and tell everybody else. That betrays their confidence, because here's the thing. Relationships, we we speak the truth in love, Jesus says. Relationships that are all just lovey-dovey, warm feelings, but never speak the hard truth will be surface level. On the other hand, relationships that are all speaking truth and, and not all truth is bad but sometimes truth can just be like trying to fix the other person and nitpicky. If we're always fixing and we're never loving, those relationships are going to be superficial as well. You have to be in relationship to be able to speak the truth and love. That's why when I've gone golfing with some of you, some of you have looked at me and said, you are a terrible golfer. You need a lot of work. And I say, I know because we're in relationship with each other, right? You can receive that. Some of us particularly my generation, I just want to speak to that for a second, but I think really all of us, we long for deep relationships. We long for something more than Facebook and Twitter. We long for more than just churchy religious relationships where we sip our coffee and say, hey, how was your week? Good. How was yours? Fine. And we move on. And we long for that. But what we forget And what we often want is we want the results of deep relationships, but we aren't willing to go through the process. And the process is accountability and challenge. And if there aren't people in your life that are willing to speak the truth and love to you, we're never going to get there. We want the benefits of relationships without the process of relationships. And that's a good challenge for all of us. The sickness is isolation. The cure is living like family. And I cannot think of a better illustration of this. I saw this commercial, this random commercial, uh, a couple of years ago, and I thought of it for today in this picture of what we're called to be as the church. Just a really short commercial. Take a look and ask yourself, how does this paint a picture of the church? Let's take a look. There's three things that I notice about that clip. Number one, they're having a lot of fun. Number two, there is not a lack of conflict. (laughs) Right? Sometimes church can feel like that. (laughs) And yet, they don't let it derail them. Because the third thing we notice is they're unified. They're not just basketball buddies. They're deep friends. You could call it family. Fun, messy, unified. What a beautiful picture of what the church is called to be. What a beautiful picture of what our families are called to be. We are not, God doesn't place us in relationship, whether that's a marriage or you're engaged or, a, or a, uh, your, your parents your siblings, a small group here at church. God does not put us in relationship because it's easy. He puts us in relationship to be refined so that we can experience the love of God through other people. Friendship, family, marriage, all at their core is grace. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. I'm not out to get you. And I trust you. And I trust you how we experience God's love no matter how messy it is. Some of you, uh, while well, speaking of Father's Day, some of you heard uh, last week uh, and I, of course I plastered it all over social media because I'm a little giddy but I'm a dad times two as of last week. Uh, we have a little girl. Uh, we call her Evie for short. Her name's, um, her name's, her name's Evie. And I, I think about her a lot. And um, some of you that are parents, um, would you agree with me that parenting is hard? Whether your kids are eight weeks old, or eight, or 18, or 58, parenting's hard. Life is hard. Life is messy. Family's messy. The other night, <laughs> getting about one to two hours of sleep right now, and uh, the other night, it was like nine, eight or nine or so, and we're like, we should go to bed, but I think I need to take a nap first. Um, we were so exhausted, and Tiffany and I are just like sprawled out in the living room on the couches, and uh, Evie's sleeping in the little pack and play. We just put Caleb to bed, so like the decibel level in the house is way down, and we're just sitting there, and there's like dirty diapers strewn out on the floor, Caleb's toys are everywhere. It is a disaster. Tiffany, of course, it looks lovely with perfect makeup and a nice dress and everything as a pastor's wife should. Oh, we some of you that have images of like the perfect pastor's family, whoosh, you can just throw that out the window. We are a mess. We are a disaster. We haven't showered in 3 days. It, it's it's a mess. Can't tell you what it smells like in that room. And in the midst of it all, I just start to tear up a little bit, and I look at my bride, just sweating and just her hair a mess. And I just look at her and say, Hey, honey, I love you. I love you right in the middle of this mess. And it wasn't a couple seconds later that I felt like, God, my heavenly Father, say, John, that's what I think about you two. Your marriage isn't perfect. It's never going to be. Your relationships aren't perfect. You've hurt people at church. You know that. But I love you right in the middle of this mess called Hope Des Moines. (laughs) And I love you right in the middle of this mess called John Anson. Whether it's stinky or it's just life, God says, I love you right in the middle of the mess. I love you right in the middle of your brokenness and those broken pieces. And God is saying to us today, there is nothing that says this can't become this again. God says, let me put the pieces of your life back together. Let me get reconnected with you. For some of you today, that is healing, that is restoration, that is forgiving somebody that's offended you, whether it's your dad or somebody else somebody in a small group, whatever it is. Let's be a church that has a lot of fun. Let's be a church that embraces our brokenness that's messy. And let's be a church that doesn't let anything get in the way of the mission that God has given us. It is way too important not to be a team, not to be unified, and have those relationships mended. I love how Paul puts it in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 17. It says, He is before all things, and in Him all things are. Hold together. Your Heavenly Father is holding you together today. He's holding you together. Piece by piece, He wants to put you back together. He is drawing near to every single one of us. He is right here. And today, on this Father's Day, it would be a great day, the perfect day to get reconnected with your Heavenly Father and to get reconnected with His church. You were created to be with Him and to be with others in relationship. He's here, and he's worthy of our worship. Amen? So let's stand and let's worship him and respond to the good news together as we draw near.